Hey, this is David Dearman. I'm the pastor at Memphis Tabernacle, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope that this message inspires you and builds your faith. I hope that it gives you fresh insight and strength to see God move in your life. Enjoy the message. Um, this morning, our pastors, David and Tiffany, are in California. They, are, they were asked to lead worship for a uh, friend's memorial service, one of their dear friends for their family. So they are with us in spirit. They said to communicate that they love you, they miss you, they wish they could be in two places at once, but um, until we get to heaven, that won't happen. So while the pastors are away, the sheep will play, but we're still, no, we're going to have church. It's going to be normal, totally normal stuff. Um, we've been in Memphis. We moved here 2018 in May, and w- w- the first conversations I had with almost all of my neighbors and people at the store and whoever I would meet around town, it was eventually the conversation would get to the weather, um, and they would talk about the weather in Memphis, and yes, the weather in Memphis is very different than California. It is. And I always have to qualify when I say that I'm, I'm from California because people think, oh, you're from California. And, and immediately they're thinking like surf and the beach and the sun. And yes, we had lots of sun where I came from and we had lots of sand and it was not the beach. It was the middle of the desert. So it's not the California you may be thinking about. But the weather where I came from in Barstow was pretty predictable, pretty consistent it was the wind always blew one direction all the time, unlike here, all the time. And then there'd be this, this short window where there'd be these things called the Santa Ana winds, and then it would blow the opposite direction for a, a little bit, and then it'd be back to normal again. And it was always like that, every single day. If Siri said that it was going to be 115 a week and a half from now on Thursday, guess what it was going to be a week and a half from now on Thursday? 115. It just was. It was that predictable. It was never going to rain. And if it did rain, it would always rain outside of town and not in town. It's just one of those things. The weather was pretty stable. Here, not so much. I'm surprised that I can ask Siri what the weather's going to be like and have it come up and it will tell me. That, like, when we had all big freakish snowstorm, I guess it's a snowstorm. Is it a storm? Was that a storm around here? Is that considered stormy? Okay. So yeah, we had snow. So I'm looking at my phone, and I wake up in the morning, and I look at the phone. It says, tomorrow it's going to be snowing. Okay, cool. My kids are excited about that. An hour later, it's going to be raining. Less excited about that. No, 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 no. Now it's just going to be cloudy tomorrow. Okay, check the phone an hour later. No, we're back to snow again. Okay, kids are excited again. You check the phone an hour later. It's going to be freezing cold temperatures. It's like, what in the world is going on? My four-year-old is a better weatherman than Siri is, okay? He can just, whatever, just pick a weather, and what do you want it to be tomorrow, son? Because it's probably going to be that at some point during the day. That's just the way that it is around here. Um, I, I only know of one person who can accurately predict the weather in Memphis, and he's the one who's in charge of the weather in Memphis. So God can do it, and I'm glad that he is the one in control of those things and not us. Um, when we talk about freakish weather, there was some freakish weather in the Bible. I don't know if you've read all the stories in here, but there's this thing called the flood where it rained a lot. I mean, like a lot, a lot. And God was in charge of that. The biggest freakish weather storm globally, planet-wide, God was in charge of that. There was a freakish weather thing happening in a place called Sodom and Gomorrah. I hope I never experienced that kind of weather, but God was in charge of that as well. There was a hailstorm in Egypt, Egypt, hailing like crazy, freakish weather, and God was in charge of that 
as well. He was in charge of every single one of those. This morning, we're actually going to read about that particular hailstorm in Egypt. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Exodus chapter 9. Exodus 9, and this is in the middle of all the plagues that God had sent against Pharaoh and against the people of Egypt in order to free his people from captivity and slavery. We read this in Exodus 9, God is through Moses describing to Pharaoh, this is what is going to happen with with this freakish weather storm that's about to hit you and all of this hail. And we pick it up in verse 18, Exodus 9. I'm reading from the ESV, so for anyone who's like, like, what is that? It's the Bible that I picked to read this year because I haven't read it before. So not the Bible, just this version of the Bible. All right, so Exodus 9, 18. Moses tells Pharaoh, behold, about this time tomorrow, I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as never has been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now, therefore, send, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter. For every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. That's some serious hail. Okay, I've seen hail. We actually live in the desert. It, we did get hail every once in a while. We've had hail around here. I think the worst hail I ever was in was we were on vacation in Colorado, and we had opted that day because of the weather. It might be a little bit stormy. We decided not to go to the amusement park and ride roller coasters. We did some other, I don't remember what we did. What I do remember is that at dinner time, we went to this restaurant. We go inside, and in the middle of our meal, we hear this, I mean, just crazy hail is coming down like crazy all over the place. We finish our meal, we come out to the parking lot, and every car in the parking lot looks like someone took a little bitty hammer and just went ding, 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 all over the hood and the top of the car and the trunk. Every, every vehicle was covered in these little ding, ding, dings from the hailstorm. There were people who got stuck at the amusement park on rides in the hail. It hurt. That was, we were not, I was very thankful for our rental car um, at that point that was not our own. Um, I don't know if we had hail coverage for that or not, but do you get hail coverage in places? I'm not sure. So that was, that was some serious hail. So Moses is describing the hailstorm that is coming and telling Pharaoh, bring everybody inside. If they're out there, not going to be good. And then he says in verse 20, Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt on man and beast and every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire ran down to the earth. And the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail, such as had never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field, Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. That's some serious hail. That's like a really freakish weather storm in the middle of the desert. But here's the deal. God had already planned for this hailstorm. It wasn't like all of a sudden, like, oh, shoot, God didn't check Siri. He didn't know it was going to hail that day. God had planned for this hailstorm. 
He already knew when it was going to happen. He already knew the, the year that this hail was going to fall in the land of Egypt so badly. God knew the year. He knew the exact day. He even knew the hour that it was going to come. He had already planned all of that out. And he gave Pharaoh 24 hours head notice. Hey, tomorrow, this time, hail is coming. So make sure you get your people in. So that Pharaoh and his nation could prepare for this disaster. God knew all of that. But here's the deal. As, as epic a hailstorm as this was, as, an, as amazing and freakish weather event in the land of Egypt, unlike anything they had ever experienced ever before, ever since, even as huge an event as this was, it was just a small part of a much bigger plan. The hailstorm was not the end-all, be-all of God's activity in the earth. It was not the end of his grand master plan for Egypt, nor was it the most important element in saving all of his people. The hailstorm was just one event in the midst of a, a much greater context. As you go back and you read the beginning of this section, go back and, and look at Exodus 9.13, where Moses begins speaking to Pharaoh. In the second half of this verse, here, here comes the Lord's communications to Pharaoh. Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. Verse 14, for this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow, I will cause very heavy hail to fall. And then he goes on to describe what it's going to be like. You see, God communicated to Pharaoh, it's not about the hailstorm. There's something way more important that's happening. This is just a small part of it. God had a plan to free his people. That was a bigger context to this particular event. God had a plan for his people, and the hailstorm was just a small part of it. God wanted to reveal himself to Pharaoh and to all the Egyptians, as well as to his own people, that I am the only true God. I am the only one in charge. I control everything. God wanted to reveal his mercy by telling Pharaoh, I'm giving you a heads up. I'm letting you know in advance. You've got 24 hours to bring everybody in if you will listen to me. God extended his mercy. I could have wiped you out by now, but I haven't. God wanted to reveal his sovereignty to Pharaoh. I've raised you up. I've put you in the position that you're in. And I did it so that my purposes would come about and you would understand. He wanted to reveal his power. God had, it was more than just the hailstorm. All of these other things God wanted to do. Reveal his mercy. Reveal himself. Reveal his sovereignty. Reveal his power. Make his name known. Those are all way more important than one day of bad weather. That was the purpose God had in mind. And it was a much greater thing, as epic as the hailstorm was, it was way bigger than that, which is often true the way God does things. And our perspective on things is many times, oh my goodness, look at this hailstorm. 
And it's yet one small part of a much bigger plan that God has in mind. What is Moses' part in all of that? And that's really what I I felt the Lord wanted to zero in our attention on this morning. What was Moses' part in this larger plan of God? And here's the deal. It was just simple obedience. That's it. All God asked Moses to do was obey. That's it. You don't, you don't got to bring the hail, Moses. You don't gotta, you don't, don't, you're not responsible for anything else. I will handle everything. I got it all. I just want you to obey. Go back and look at the beginning of verse 13. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, and on and on and on and on. Get up early. Go talk to Pharaoh. That's it. You don't, don't worry about the hail. Don't worry about the weather. Don't worry about, it, don't worry about anything else. All I want you to do, get up early. Go talk to Pharaoh. That's it. And honestly, that wasn't much different than what God had already told Moses to be doing. This is not the first plague. I know, a little bit of Bible history. This wasn't the first plague. There were several others. And many of the other times, God also told Moses, I want you to get up early in the morning and go talk to Pharaoh. Hey, Moses, get up early in the morning, go talk to Pharaoh. Hey, Moses, get up early. Pharaoh's going to be down at the Nile River. Make sure you get up early in the morning because that's when he's going to be there and go down and talk to him. Hey, Moses, get up early in the morning, go talk to Pharaoh. This was a, a common theme with Moses, getting up early and talking to Pharaoh. It wasn't much different than before. It was still in the early in the morning. It was still talking to Pharaoh. It was still the same message to Pharaoh. Hey, let my people go. If you don't, It's the same message. And guess what? Surprise, surprise, Lord. It's the same result. He still doesn't listen. Still refuses. Still stubborn. Still full of himself. Still still no. No end result. Still nothing. It's all the same. And yet Moses' part in that was to obey. This wasn't the first time God told Moses to get up early. It wasn't the first time God told him to confront Pharaoh. Wasn't the first time God told Pharaoh to let his people go. This wasn't even the final plague that was ultimately going to do it. This wasn't the one like, oh my goodness, now at this moment, Moses, just obey this one more time. If you'll do this one act of obedience, this one single thing, now it's all going to happen. It wasn't. This was not the big epic moment. This was not that you were born for this moment, Moses. It wasn't. It was just another step of obedience in a much bigger plan God had going on. Moses' part looked just the same as all the rest of the times. It's the same stuff, Moses. I want you to be doing the same thing I already told you to do. Do it again. Just do it again. But there was a purpose to Moses' obedience. There was a purpose to it. In church, if the Holy Spirit would say anything to us, it is this. Obedience is never insignificant. Never, not once, is obedience ever insignificant. It may look like it. It may look like, get up early in the morning and go talk to this guy. All right. It may look like it. So what? What if I don't? I mean, come on. Is it really? It may not feel like it. God, I don't, I just, I've been praying. I just don't believe this is the big moment where it's all going to happen. It may seem like it. Others may even look at it from the outside and say, that doesn't matter. That little thing that you're doing there doesn't matter. 
It's not making any difference. Hello? It's not doing anything different than you've done before. It's the same thing. But obedience is a really big deal to God. It's really important to the Lord. Remember Samuel's words to Saul? When God had told Saul to go wipe out all the Amalekites, kill them all, wipe everything out, don't destroy the whole thing. We're going to rid the earth of their existence. And Saul comes back with, oh yeah, I brought the king, and I brought all these animals, and these guys, we're going to have this big party, we're going to worship the Lord, it's going to be awesome, we're giving him all the glory and the praise, and look what we did in your face, king, ha, oh, God's awesome, he's the greatest ever. In the middle of all that, you know, Saul's kind of, hey, Sam, come with us, it's going to be great, come on, we need a prophet over here. And Samuel's words are, to obey is better than sacrifice. Obedience is always significant. More than our best intentions, more than our old, God, but yeah, I'll do this instead, God. I know, you, I know but it'll be, that's nah, a little small thing. What if, we, what if we did this instead? Because this doesn't, isn't a big enough deal. This isn't important enough. I got a better idea. I got a better way of doing it. Obedience is never insignificant. No matter what it is that God says, no matter what he communicates, no matter what he sets in front of us and says, this is the step I want you to take, the same one I wanted you to take before. And it's not a matter of you didn't do it right the first time. And it's not a matter of you didn't do a good enough job. And it's not a matter of we're going to keep doing it till you get it right. It's simply, I'm God, and I said, do this. The fact that you do it is significant. It matters to the Lord. God told Moses, obey, Moses, because I want to show Pharaoh my mercy. And in order for that to happen, you got to get up in the morning and go talk to him. I want to give him 24 hours heads notice. I want him to have a heads up on this one. It's a really big deal. People are going to die because of this. It's kind of a big deal. Get up early and go talk to him. You need to obey, Moses. You need to do what I said. Get up early and talk to him because the hailstorm is coming. I've already set a time for it. It's showing up at this particular moment, and you may not know that, but I do because I'm God. This is when it's happening. You have to get up and talk to Pharaoh. You have to tell him because this is when it's going to happen. Moses, you got to obey. Pharaoh needs to hear these particular words. Not your own, not whatever you come up with, not your best idea. He needs to hear these words from me because I have a bigger plan. I have a bigger thing going on. But God didn't give Moses all that information. Moses didn't get any backstory. He didn't get God's grand big master plan behind things. God didn't reveal that to Moses. God revealed, get up early, go talk to Pharaoh. That's it. And many times our obedience is conditional on, if God tells me big stuff, I'll step out with big faith and big obedience. But if God tells me small stuff, well, it doesn't take a lot of faith or obedience. Get up early in the morning, go talk to Pharaoh. That's it. And that step of obedience is our response of faith to the Lord. That says, God, I don't have to understand it all. I don't have to see it all. 
It doesn't matter what other people think. If you said it, it matters. Because you don't do insignificant things. Even when it seems like what you just did didn't bring the result I thought it was going to bring. What you did is not insignificant. And the step of obedience that I took is not insignificant. It's not based on the result. If I do big things and I get big results, man, I can do little things and get no results. It's still significant because God said so. The same simple instructions he gave before, same ones. Again, again with the whole get up early, talk to Pharaoh. Got it. Broken record, Lord. I'll do it again. But obedience is never insignificant, even if we don't see it. And this is why. Because obedience is always worship. It's always worship. Worship is ascribing worth and value, giving glory to God, honor to him, reverence to him. It's declaring that you are more worthy of my attention and my focus and my efforts and my affections than anything else, especially myself. You're worthy of that. And so our worship then expresses to God our love for him, our commitment to him, our adoration of him. This is how I love the Lord, by worshiping him and making him more important than me. 1 John 5, 3 says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. You want to know how you love God? Do what he says. That's how you love God. It's not multiplied efforts of this and this and this. And it's not so many pile up all these good works so that God sees how much I love him. Do what he says. This is the love of God. Keep his commandments. Love expressed is a big deal to the Lord. It really matters to God when we express our love to him. He pays attention to that. It's significant to him. Our expressions of love, our expressions of devotion, in whatever form they take, they matter to God. My four-year-old life, he likes to pick flowers and give them to his mom, which is, oh, yeah, um, yeah. sure. But we have daffodils growing in our front yard now, which is cool. And I, don't, I didn't plant them. I don't make them grow. They just show up. It's pretty cool. But as soon as we had one of them, he wanted to run outside, yank it out of the ground, and give it to mom. That's what he wanted to do. And Denise had to tell him, wait, son, let's make sure that we're going to get some more and that you don't kill the only daffodil that we have in the front yard. So just let's hold on. Let's get a few more of them. But he will, he'll bring those and immediately give them to mom, and she loves it, and it's great, and dad doesn't get it. Because, I mean, I'll get, my, I'll get my wife flowers. She has some waiting for her when she gets home this weekend. But, I mean, we'll go on a walk around the block, and the family's walking, and here's life, and he finds some weed thing growing, and it happens to have some dinky flower thing on it, and grabs it. Here, Dad. Thanks, son. Stick it in my pocket, walking around, getting towards the house. I do not want this going through the wash and messing up my pocket and to myself. You know, make sure he's not looking, toss it in somebody's yard, and keep going. Denise is shaking her head the whole time because she already knows what's going to happen. Dad, do you have that flower? Uh, to my credit, I did not lie. No, son, I didn't keep that flower. I just threw it in the, in the grass, and we were all like, oh, all right, I'll get you another one. <laughs> Great, thank you. 
It's different with Denise. Denise like, oh, thank you for the flower. And it goes home with her and it has a little place on the kitchen counter or by her sink or it's in a little Dixie cup with water. And it lasts there until that thing decomposes and dies and shrivels into powder. She will save that thing because it's important to him. That's how God treasures our obedience. That's how God treasures our love. It matters to the Lord. He values that. It's a big deal to God. Our obedience is our love. It's our expression of worship to him when we do what he says. And God receives that worship and loves that worship. It's important to him. And here's the other thing about obedience. And it goes kind of without saying. It seems like, well, this should be a no-brainer, like, duh. But we find creative ways of undoing things. Obedience is always right. Again, duh. It's always right. If you ever have the choice between obedience and anything else, Obedience versus, no, 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 I got this really, really good idea. Obedience and doing what God says versus, wait, 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 I could, this would be so cool if we did this instead. Obedience versus, yeah, 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 that'll never work. This is going to be amazing. Obedience versus, I know, la, 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 I just want to love Jesus. Obedience versus whatever else it is. Obedience is always right. It's always the right thing. It's never secondary with the Lord. It's never some optional. Well, I told you to obey, but honestly, I really don't care. Do whatever you want. Obedience is always the right thing to do. Now, Moses obeyed here. Moses did not always obey. Remember the time when it was God told him, you know, the mo- people are grumbling. We want some water. Wah, 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 wah. And God tells Moses, go speak to the rock. Give him some water so I don't kill him. And Moses is like, come on, oh, oh, I'll speak to that rock. Whack! And he hits it with the staff. God, God didn't say hit it with your staff. And because of his disobedience, he was kept away from the promised land. Because obedience is always what's right, not something else. Now, the something else worked, right? They got their water. I don't think he broke his staff when he hit it, but they did get their water. But the right thing was obedience. Jesus told a parable one time about a father who had two sons. Father went to one son and said, son, go clean your room. I ain't cleaning my room, old man. You can't tell me what to do. I'll go clean my room. And he cleaned his room. Father told the other son, go clean your room. Yes, you got it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'll have the cleanest room ever, sir. You'll be so proud of your son. It'll be the greatest room ever. And I'll make it clean. I'll keep it clean the rest of my life, sir. Yes, sir. I love you, dad. Is he gone? I ain't cleaning my room. Come on, that's crazy. And then Jesus asked the Pharisees, which of the two sons obeyed? Uh, The smart Pharisee said, oh, the son that cleaned his room. Yes. Why? Because obedience is always right. It's always right. The lip service over here is not what's right. That's not what God's looking for. He's not looking for the outward expressions of the, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And there's no heart change. God's looking for obedience that even with a bad attitude, oh, fine, I'll do what he says. It's always right. It's always right. 
Because it, even with the, oh, I don't want to do it, I've done it all my life, and I don't want to, fine. But at that moment, there's a submission to the Lord. He'll work on the attitude. He still is. He'll get there. But he requires obedience. He requires that. It's not all, when my attitude changes, then I'll do what God says. <laughs> You're never going to do what he says then. When my attitude changes, when God fixes, when he makes my heart right about this one, then I'll go do it. Go do it. Your heart will be right. Because the moment you say yes and you start obeying, your heart is instantly changed by the fact that you obeyed. When God says there's only one way to the Father and it's through Jesus, the moment you come to Jesus, you're saved. It happens. Obedience is always right. So what is God saying to do? No, I'm like asking you. I don't have the answer to that one. I have a friend of mine who uh, I really, really respect. And he, he gets to, God uses him to do the cool stuff. You know, like when you're in a room of people and he just gives you words for all these different people in the room and stuff. I don't know. I've never like done that kind of thing before, but he does. And he would tell me about it. I was like, oh, so it's so much fun when the Holy Spirit does that. And he's like, yeah. So I remember he had, he had come and visited our church and, and had shared some things with people. And so we kind of knew. And he made several trips. And it was always fun. It was always a blast when he would be there. And he came one time and he was, you know, kind of, who wants to hear a word from the Lord? Oh, yeah, I want a word from the Lord. And people are like, yeah, yeah, me, 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 me. And he's like, get one yourself. And the point was kind of like, because God speaks. He will speak. He's given us his word. He will speak. He will give direction. He will give steps of obedience. He will lay things out in front of us. He will do that. So again, what is he saying to do? And as it usually is with the Holy Spirit, the first thing that pops in your mind, the one thing that keeps out, again, Lord? Yes, that's probably him. Because he's relentless about it. He's never like, okay, I told you to do that, uh -huh, then you didn't do it, so forget it. I'll find somebody else. Moses tried that. Oh, God, I can't do that. No, 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 it's you, Moses. No, I can't. God, I got to. It's you, Moses. I can't do it. I can't do it. God doesn't give up. He pursues us. The Bible says that he who began a good work in you, he will finish it. He will absolutely finish that because he will never stop. So what is he saying to do? Is he saying, repent and believe? Give your heart to God? Has that never happened? Well, if it's never happened, let's just take care of that right now. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you're saved. So, Jesus, I confess you as my Lord. You're in charge of my life. I've lived for myself, I've done it for myself, and I can't. I don't live a perfect life. I don't make all the right decisions. And all that stuff is called sin because it's wrong. It's living with me in charge. So I submit to you. You're now my Lord, and you are in charge. And because of the cross, the punishment that I should have for all my mistakes, you took that, and I don't have it anymore. What I have is new life because of you. I believe you rose from the dead. You did that so that I don't have to die. I can spend eternity with, with my Father in heaven. That's my eternity now. Done. Settled. 
What's next? What does he say to do? Get baptized. It's a step of obedience. Even Jesus got baptized. It's happening next week. We're having baptisms here next week. So if you've never been baptized, fill a card out. It's right back in the back of the seat things. Fill it out online. I need to be baptized. And then be here and get baptized next week. All right? Check. What's next? Read your Bible. What do I read? Psalm 1, Psalm 119, John 1. Start in Genesis. Anything. Get to hear the voice of God. Read. Spend time with them. Know what he says. You want some stuff to do? The Bible will give you some stuff to do. Because the Holy Spirit speaks through the words that he's written and makes them applicable from thousands of years ago to right now today in my heart with my situation. Right before my hailstorm shows up. Here's my step of obedience. What's God saying to do? Same thing as yesterday? He's saying the same thing he's been saying over and over and over and over and over again? I don't know if it's because we're not obeying. It might simply be because that's the way I want it done. Okay. The point is not to find a better way or to find something new. The point is to hear the voice of God. And what he says, we do. Because when we do it, it's never insignificant. Our obedience always matters to God. Always. Because it's our worship to him that says you're worthy, Lord, of me living in submission to your will above my own. So you receive glory as I walk in obedience. And church, it is always the right thing. Always. You never have to question God's motives, his intentions, his plans, his sanity, his timing, his anything. He's God. Trust him. That obeying him is always, always, always the right thing to do. So hear the Lord. Ask him. And do whatever he says. And it may be really, really simple. And it may not be exciting. And it may look a lot like what he's already been saying to do. And it may be my worst four-letter word from God. Wait. He said that to me, like, repeatedly. And it's not because I'm not waiting. It's because that's what he wants me to do. So you obey. But church, as we do, he gets all the glory for it. He gets the glory. And his grander, larger, bigger plan that we still may be unaware of, that happens. And our part in that is significant, no matter what it is. Can we worship the Lord this morning as we close? The altar team's going to come forward, and you can spend some time in prayer with them, but let's just be in the presence of God for a bit. Let Him know how much we love Him. Well, I hope you enjoyed the podcast today, and if you did, I'd like to ask you to subscribe to our show. That way, the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. God bless you, and I'll see you next time on the Memphis Tabernacle Podcast. Podcast.